Oh, uh, there we go. We went. I'll, uh, I'll pretend like uh, I've been nailed to the ground here or something, all right? Turn that off so it doesn't interfere with anything else. Thank you for letting me come to the camp meeting. I love this meeting. Man, I love the music. I love the spirit. I love Brother Gravely and his heart. Love Brother Falura's sermon. Fabulous sermon. That sermon is ready to print. I mean, it was eloquent, beautiful, encouraging, tremendous message. I, I did give in the first two offerings. I do have a $100 bill, but I didn't give in the second offering because I might have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> At my age, you got to be careful about that. Brother Fleur, God bless you. I prayed he'd, they'd find his wallet. You pray they'd get his wallet. It's a terrible thing to lose that and have to mess with all that. Talk about being unlucky. He's, he's as unlucky as the uh, fellow that when he finally got his kidney transplanted came from a bedwetter. <laughs> Second Samuel chapter 23. Verse 14, I think there's a sermon in here. David was then in the hold, and hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem, and David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the hosts of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. Lord, thanks for the privilege of being this wonderful meeting. Thank you for your people that have gathered together. Thank you that we can gather together. Thank you for all that our hearts have felt and our souls have received as nourishment and encouragement. Lord, meet with us now and help us to get from this portion of your word what you want us to have. But help, Lord, that you would receive the glory that you deserve and the praise that is worthy of you, you're worthy of. I pray that you'd help us. Bind the devil and his demons and don't let them snatch the seed of your word away from the soil of our hearts and help us. Lord, to be good ground to receive what you have. We'll thank you in Jesus' name for all that you do. Amen. Have you ever had something that tasted really, really good, but you could only get it at one place? Uh, my wife and I go every year to Shipshawana, Indiana. It's an Amish area, and they got a big flea market there on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but we always go to Rise and Roll. It's a bakery. It's actually run, I think, by Mennonite folks. Now, they got a lot of good things here, but we always get a cream-filled, caramel-covered donut. I'm not a big donut fan. I, I, can drive, I went by Dunkin' Donuts today in the Denver airport and looked at their shelves. wasn't a thing there I wanted. I like Krispy Kreme, but, but man, that donut's phenomenal. And we've eaten other donuts that are kind of like it, but none of them that are as good as that rise and roll donut. David had something that was like that to him. He said, man, if I could get a drink again from the water at the well of Bethlehem. 
He said, there's no water as sweet as the water from the well of Bethlehem. There's no water that satisfies me like the water from the well of Bethlehem. There's no water that's as special to me as the water from the well of Bethlehem. You notice David's longing. He has a desire. I wish I could get some of that water, but there's a difficulty. David was hiding in a cave. The Bible says he was in the hole. The word means to be hunted. It means to be trapped in a net. Now, if you go back to 1 Samuel, you'll find that this takes place when David is hiding in the cave of Adullam. He's not only hiding in a cave. Uh, David is hindered by his companions. He had 400 followers at this time. You know, he had everybody that was in debt and everybody that was in distress and everybody that was discontented. People argue about when the church started. It started at Pentecost. It started with John the Baptist. It started in the ministry of Jesus. It started, no, no, no. The church started in the, up, in the Old Testament. Uh, you tell me, everybody in debt and everybody in discontent, everybody in distress, if that's not an independent fundamental Baptist church, what is it? He's hiding in a cave. He is hindered by his companions. He ran away because Saul was trying to kill him. Here is a Bible principle. I had a lady asked me one time, her husband was beating her and he wouldn't stop. And she said, do I have to stay there? Now, I don't think you can get divorced for your husband beating you. But, but I, I looked at the Bible. You know what? When David knew that Saul was going to kill him, he ran away. Here's the Bible truth. If you know somebody's trying to kill you, try not to be there when it happens. I said, love him, tell him you'll work things out, but when he's trying to beat you, run away. He's been to Doeg and gotten some bread, some show, or been to Ahimelech, gotten some bread, some showbread, got the sword of Goliath, but there's a man named Doeg there that sees what happens, and Doeg winds up killing at the instruction of King Saul all the priests and all their family and all the inhabitants of that little village. David's hiding in a cave. David is hindered by his companions. Uh, David wants water from a well that's held by the conquerors. David's not a king now. now. The Philistines aren't fighting David. In fact, later on, he unwisely and unscripturally, I think, yokes up with them. David's been anointed, but he hasn't been appointed. He, he's known, he knows God wants to be the next king, but Saul is still the king. And the Philistines, the enemies of Saul, the enemies of Israel, have a garrison, a military encampment around the well of Bethlehem. David's just thinking out loud. Like somebody say, man, I, I wish I could go back to Hawaii. I, I wish I still had that 1957 Chevy. The longing, but notice the loving. There's some people around David who listen to what he says. Now, now it's not a command. It's not an instruction. He doesn't even ask for a volunteer. He's just kind of thinking out loud. But they were attentive to his words. When David said, man, I wish I had some water from the well of Bethlehem, they paid attention to that. Can I say that the followers ought to pay attention to the desires of their leader? They ought to try to get the heart of their leader. 
I had the privilege of pastoring the First Baptist Church of Bridgeport for 44 years. And, and uh, I would tell the staff that, that you are extra hands and feet and arms and legs attached to the pastor's heart. And God was so good to me, Brother Gravely. Uh, the last 15, 20 years, I didn't train the staff much. The, my older staff trained my younger staff. Man, on our staff for 25 years now, Brother Scott Cowling, he's like a son to me. And Brother Cowling, if he was very upset with somebody that was in our employ, the most terrible thing he could say about him is, Preacher, he doesn't have your heart. Too many people saying, Well, you can't prove to me this is wrong. You can't show me a verse in the Bible that says I have to do such and such. Well, how about this? Anybody get an idea what the heart of God is? What is God like? You can find out. The Bible tells us in Psalm 103 that God made known his acts to the children of Israel, but he made known his ways unto Moses. The children of Israel knew what he did, but Moses knew why he did it. Moses knew what God was like. You see, David just kind of was thinking out loud and wishing, and he said, man, there's no water so sweet as the water of Bethlehem. There's no water so special as the water from the well of Bethlehem. There's no water that satisfies me like the water from the well of Bethlehem. And they were attentive to his words and then they acted on his wishes these loving servants David had 400 men that were people that were with him our passage if you read it tells us that he had 30 of them that were called mighty men so he had 400 that stayed with him he had 30 that stood up and stood out but out of that bunch he had three that were willing to sacrifice. Three that did not have to be asked. Three that did not have to be commanded. Three that did not have to be instructed. Three that what the Bible says put their lives in jeopardy not to win a battle, not to save the life of their leader, not to help the nation of Israel be delivered from the, the dominion of, a, of a, an ungodly king. Saul. no, just to get a little water from a well. They acted on his wishes. They were aggressive in their work. For years I'd read this story, and in my mind, uh, Brother Brown, I was thinking they kind of snuck in past the soldiers and they got the water and they snuck out, but that's not what it says. You know what it says? The Bible says they break through the host of the Philistines. Now that means that they had to fight. That means it was hard. That means it was difficult. Now, it's 13 miles from the cave of Adullam to the well of Bethlehem. If you walk really briskly, you might walk four miles in an hour. So, over three hours there, over three hours back. But that's not the worst of it. Once they get there, they don't sneak in. They don't slip in under the cover of darkness and get past the sentry and take the water surreptitiously out of the well and go back. No, they've got to fight. And as I understand the Bible, they didn't have any weapons at this time. And so here is, uh, David's got the sword of Goliath and that's about all they got. And here are these men and they face an armed company, a garrison of soldiers and they're not going to win a battle. They're not going to save their families. They're not going to do something great for the cause of the nation of Israel. No, they're just sneaking in, but they can't sneak. They got to fight and they fight to get a little bit of water for King David. 
they were aggressive in their work. But notice this about the loving I see in the story. David was appreciative of their worth. This love was not one-sided. It wasn't just uh, from the follower to the leader. No, David said, I, I'm going to pour this out. And we must understand that. We think he kind of threw it away. No, no, it was a sacred act. It was a giving of an offering. It was David saying, this water is too valuable and too special. And what you've done to get it has been at the expense of your blood. And I'm not going to just drink it. I'm going to give it as an offering to the Lord in honor of your sacrifice. And I want you to know, no sacrifice that I can make it's too great for my Savior. No sacrifice that you can make is too great for your King, but it is never a one-sided love. We love Him because He first loved us. But I think there's some lessons in the story. There is a, a lesson about serving. Uh, do you know Brother Sutherland, do you know the names of the three men that went and got that water? I looked it up, Brother Morgan. One commentator said, well, it was Beniah and Shema and Adino. And then I looked it up and Matthew Henry said, uh, no, he said it was Abishai. Oh, one said it was Adino, Eliezer, and Shema. Matthew Henry said it was Abishai and Beniah, and we don't know who the third one was. Read the passage. See if you can tell me which three they were. I can't figure it out. Nobody knows. Their names are not on a plaque anywhere. They're not listed in a history book. They're not held up as examples to children. You'd be like Benaiah or Abishai or Shema or Eliezer or whoever it was. We don't know who they were. Here's the lesson about service. Service isn't about servants. Service isn't about significance. Service is not about getting glory for themselves. They went out to give glory to David. Service wasn't about them being noticed. Our service is about people noticing our Savior. Servants don't matter, but their service does. Servants don't matter, but their Savior does. And I would like to say that I believe the greatest acts of service that have occurred in the history of the world, many of them have never been recorded. And they will not be revealed until the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know who gave the biggest offering tonight, and neither do you, but he does. I don't know what widow put her two mites in, and there's a widow lady that takes her Social Security check and puts it into missions at a special offering and eats nothing for the next weeks except some crackers that she got in the back of the cupboard. There is a college student that skips his lunch in order to help some ministry that God has burdened him about. There is a group of people that gather together in obscurity, and they pray and pour their hearts out to God and ask for revival, and that's what service is like, servants. Uh, don't care what anybody knows about them, but they sure care what somebody knows about Jesus. Went to Grenada on a mission trip. I had to take my wife and our two daughters. Carissa was maybe 15. Katie was 10. We had just given Katie a Nintendo Game Boy. It was the latest, greatest. It was the first handheld video game. You didn't have to hook it up to a TV like Atari. Remember Atari? I'm a fundamentalist. I still like Atari. Space Invaders. 
Get back to the old paths. <laughs> All you Xbox people, Playstations, progressive liberal folks. We stayed with a missionary, Brother Dennis Celestine, wonderful servant of God, he and his wife, Pinky, their sons, Dwight and Dwayne. And Christy let Dwight and Dwayne play with her Game Boy. It was the most valuable possession she had and had ever had. Came time to go, and she said, Mom and Dad, can I talk to you? She's 10 years old. And we said, sure. She said, do you care if I give Dwight and Dwayne my Game Boy? Biggest thing she had. Two sons of a national pastor never had seen anything like that. I don't think I'll ever forget it. Never made it in anybody's missionary letter. Nobody ever uh, used it except me as a sermon illustration. There's a lesson about service. There's a lesson about sacrifice. Do you know that sacrifice is not always, and I would say not usually, commanded? David didn't ask. David didn't require. David did not request. David just wished for something. Here is the uncrowned king, and he just says, man, I wish I could have a little bit of water. Sacrifice is uh, not usually commanded, but real sacrifice always costs something. I don't know that we know much about it. I'm a pretty lousy Christian. I thought, you know, my goal of this meeting would be to get out not having given any more away than my love offering is. Yeah, far. Imagine that you actually go someplace and it costs you. I, uh, several months ago, September, I was preaching in Texas, dear friend of mine, Brother Adam Thompson. He has a friend who's just taken Brother, Heid, Brother Harold Seitler's church a couple of years ago, Brother Joel Logan, great guy. I had to preach, I had to preach for him shortly after he went there. And Brother Thompson and Brother Logan are real good friends. He said, Brother Logan wants to have a time we can be there at the same time and have weekend meetings. And I looked at my calendar, there wasn't but one time it could possibly work, and I could only go part of the week. And so the secretary called me, and she said, uh, what can you do? I said, well, I can give you this Monday and Tuesday. She said, can you come Sunday? I said, no, I can't be there Sunday. I'm someplace else. And she said, well, let me check with the preacher and see what he wants to do. And she never called back. Now, I like to be home. I live on 10 acres. I've got a tractor, a Kubota. It's got a grapple and a bucket and a blade and a bush hog, and I just got a wood chipper. Bought a used Woods 5000, but I ordered a Wood Max WM8H. It's the coolest wood chipper you're going to get unless you can get. I, they're, they're so popular. I got an email said they're going to be out, and I, I, I set everything up ahead of time. They had 46 available. 600 people tried to order it, and they sold out in four minutes. And it's coming, and I want to go home and hook up my wood chipper. And I try to be home once in a while for three or four days. Best I know, I've got like 68 meetings scheduled for 2021 because I'm retired. <laughs> and that lady called me the other day and she said, 
We just wanted to see, Brother Willette, when you're coming, if you needed a rental car, when you're leaving. I thought, good grief, you never called me back. That was September. I took other meetings because I thought I had that time open. I don't want to go then. I want to chip wood. I want to cut trees. I want to get my steel chainsaws out. I said chainsaws. A man of my skill level requires more than one saw so that when you get one stuck, you can cut it out with the other one. You think I'm joking. I'm preaching. I'm telling the truth. And I had a lousy attitude because I didn't want to give up my time. And I called Brother Thompson. I said, Brother Thompson, you remember this? I never heard anything about it, and I just don't know. And he said, well, preacher, I understand. He said, Brother Logan's got a whole lot on his plate. He said, there's been some things that he didn't get back with me on. And I said, I'm not going. And then I made a terrible mistake. I said, well, I'll pray about it. <laughs> and I, you don't, don't do that if you want to have your way. So I called back. I found out that secretary is Brother Thompson's sister. And she took all the blame and she, I found out she's working really hard, but she suffers from migraine headaches. She's got Lyme's disease. She's got autoimmune deficiencies. She's going to some special treatment center. And I don't know that it's her fault or not. I said, don't take the blame. And I thought, what a lousy jerk. What a terrible excuse for a Christian I am. I don't want to take a couple extra days and go from my meeting in Illinois to be in Greenville because I want to sit home and chip some wood. And I'm forgetting about there's something bigger than me. There's something bigger than what I want. There's something bigger than my comfort. There's something bigger than me spending a few days at home. And it's a very tiny little gift I'm giving to the Lord Jesus. But sometimes he asks us to give something that costs something. And sometimes he doesn't ask us. But he still wants us to do it lesson about service, a lesson about sacrifice, lesson about the Savior. We all understand that David is an example, if you want to use the word type, of the Lord Jesus. And he is not the king now. He is running for his life. The only people that follow him are the people that really are in some kind of other trouble and they just go with him. And here's this bunch of people in all kind of trouble running away. And they got 400 later, 600 souls, got 3,000 soldiers. That 400 includes, I think, some women and children. We know his family's there. And he says, I'm going to leave them over here until I see what the Lord will do with me. And, and, and Saul's got this big army and David's got this little motley crew together. He's not the king now. The crown does not rest on his head. There is no glory in following him at this time. You know, there was a time to be a fundamental Christian was really popular. H.L. Mencken, you can look him up. He was a famous, sarcastic, cynical kind of a journalist. And he said, you take a train across the country, throw an egg out the window, and you're likely to hit a fundamentalist. And there was a time when the largest church in virtually every state was an independent fundamental Baptist church. 
There was a time uh, when, when you named the name of Jesus Christ, you were in the majority, and it was hard to get elected office if people thought you were an atheist and people thought that you did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they didn't like that now. Now they want to cancel you because you're against abortion. Now they don't think you're worthy to be listened to if you don't believe in gay marriage. Now if you dare say that the Bible is the word of God, then you are the dregs of society. And can I tell you something? It's not much of a cost and it's not much of a sacrifice, but I'm glad I get to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ when it costs a little something. I'm glad to stand on his side when the crown has not yet been placed on his head. Oh, one day they'll crown him with many crowns, the king upon his throne, but right now he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and I'm glad to say that I'm willing to serve a rejected king. I think the progressive church just kind of likes to jump on the bandwagon. You like rock music? You will have, we'll have rock music. You like casual dress? We'll have casual dress. You don't want to preach against sin? We won't preach against sin. But I'm glad there's some preachers that'll stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. And I'm glad there's some churches that'll say, you know what? It doesn't matter if our membership goes up or goes down, if our offerings increase or decrease, decrease. we're going to hold this old book up and we're going to say this is what the Bible says and this is the message God wants us to deliver and we're not really concerned if you like it or not, but we're really concerned that he likes it. Lesson about the Savior. Hey, help people early. Everyone wants to help them once they're successful. Help them while they need help. You think what you want about them, I don't care. My friend John Wilkerson took the First Baptist Church of Hammond and it was not an easy place to go. Now, you say, oh, there, I'll just one, two, three, pray after me. Let me tell you, John Wilkerson had not been there a few months when he saw a man walk down the aisle, came to get saved, saw him in the baptistry a few minutes at most later, and he stopped the invitation. And he said, take time with these converts. Make sure they understand the gospel. He went there in February, and I preached for him in September. From February to September, he put 1,100 people into discipleship. Had thousands go through now. John Wilkerson had somebody call me in March and say, would you have an ensemble from Hiles Anderson College? Hadn't had one in a long time. Actually preached a sermon on a Wednesday night as to why we'd have nothing to do with that particular ministry. Just got there. I said, sure. I told our folks, I don't know what's going to happen to Hiles Anderson College, but I know I love John Wilkerson. Now he's doing really well, and anybody who knows anything about it knows he's made tremendous progress, and he's a godly man. I preached there uh, maybe oh, a year and a half or two years ago, and I said to the pastors as we're about to go out on Sunday night, uh, I said, I'm glad to see the heart and the spirit of John Wilkerson becoming the heart and the spirit of First Baptist Church of Hammond and a longtime assistant, 72 years old, been in that church over 50 years, said, and he wasn't joking. He said, oh, yeah. He said, we don't even tell queer jokes anymore. I do. I got some right now if you want them. (laughs) 
I told Brother Gravely's church, uh, I probably should have told you this before I started preaching, I, I have recently become rather strongly identified with the LFTB community. Is that all right? LFTB stands for less fat than before. I'm 50 pounds lighter than when I left First Baptist Church of Bridgeport as pastor. Now, I'm still fat, but I now identify as skinny. And I would appreciate it if you'd address me that way. My pronouns are thin and slim. You call me anything else, you're guilty of hate speech. I guess that makes me trans fat. The Roman Moffat said to me, we don't even tell queer jokes anymore. He doesn't think any sin is funny. Wow. Now, I had some friends going to wait around and see what he, how he did. I'm glad I didn't wait around and see how he did. I, I refused three times to preach for his predecessor. Never did preach for his predecessor. Really glad I never did. But I'm glad I had a chance to help him when he needed some help. And aren't you glad that though our Savior is not revered by our world, but reviled by our world? And our Savior, though he is not elevated by our world, but he is denigrated by our world, aren't you glad that our Savior is still letting us stand with him and letting us stay with him and letting some of us sacrifice for him? Could I tell you about another well from Bethlehem? It was dug in the darkness maybe a single star to light the project. It was located in a lonely place. It was operated in its early days in obscurity. It was not placed in a field but a defeating trough. It was not surrounded by masonry. It was set in the middle of a manger. It's a well of water springing up into everlasting life. It's mentioned in almost the last verse of the Bible. The spirit and the bride say come. Let him that heareth say come. Let him drink of the water of life freely. And the name of this well, why, his name is Jesus. And can I say to you that there is no water so sweet as the water from that well of Bethlehem and there is no water so satisfying as the water from that well of Bethlehem and there is no water so sacred as the water from that well of Bethlehem when I think of what I was and what I would have been without the gospel of Jesus Christ oh you listen to me all these churches doing all this stuff to attract people they just don't believe in the power of the gospel Somebody said, well, we take a survey, and the most common comment that we get from people who visit our church is that our music is boring. You know, I've never led one person to Christ who asked me what our music was like. That's not a comment from sinners. That's a comment from church-hopping, preacher-swapping Christians. They're going to a spiritual restaurant and checking out what's on the menu before they decide if that's where they want to be. But I found out when God changes a person, he changes him from the inside out. Old Bob Jones Sr. said, you let God go to hold of your heart and he'll comb the kinks out of your head. 
Yeah, I found the gospel can take people who love booze and make them believers. I found the gospel can take people who are crooked and make them stray. I found the gospel can change the vilest sinner and make him a saint of God. Oh, that God should love a sinner such as I, should yearn to turn my sorrow into bliss nor rest till he had worked to bring me nigh. How wonderful is love like this that bore a willful outcast such as I, the Father bled, the Savior planned, and died redemption for a willful slave to buy who long had law of love and grace defied. And now, and now he calls me to his heart a son. He asked me not to fill a servant's place. The far off country wanderings are all done. Wide open are his arms of grace. Such love, such wondrous love, such love, such wondrous love that God should love a sinner such as I. How wonderful is love like this and I say there is no water so sweet there is no water so sacred there is no water so satisfying as the soul saving sacrificial spirit satisfying water from the well of Bethlehem Lord I wonder if we even know what you want. Would you, Holy Spirit, put on our hearts something that you'd like but you haven't requested? That would please you but you haven't commanded. That might cost us a little something but it means something special to you an offering of a sweet savor. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you do something?